Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to Fresh Books. Thanks for, for joining us here. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be uh, on the call and chatting with the chatting with your group. And you're in good company. Uh, we spoke with Marty Newmeyer last month around his book Scramble, which was uh, which was really interesting. And next month, in fact, it's only it's just three weeks away. On the 21st of November, we're talking with Maria Ross, who I think you know. Yes, she, her new book says, just came out. Yeah, that's it. So, so you guys are are busy. Um, it looks like you've been you've been really really busy out there. Um, how's how's it going so far? It's been a ton of fun. The uh, book publishing, book uh, marketing world is probably the biggest grind you can ever ask for. But the thing that I'm having so much fun is just having people resonate with the book and saying it's valuable. Uh, we had a, a launch event at the University of Toronto a couple of weeks ago, and it was the second highest attendance uh, attended event uh, uh, of the year. The highest attendance was Malcolm Gladwell, so I've got my work cut out to catch up to him. But uh, it, it's uh, it's fun and. And I think the neat thing about book marketing and, and bringing a book to the world is it's packaging and sharing ideas and, and seeing if they spread. And, and that's really the journey that I'm on right now. Well, and, um, you know, we have, we've, we've read it, the guys on, on the, the call here. So we've got a bit of a, an insight. You give a little bit of the backstory and, um, yeah, you've packaged up some, some great ideas and there's, a lot of themes in there that we'll maybe get a chance to talk about, um, creativity in, in general, and, and anything creative, there's got to be a little a germ somewhere, a little seed. And mm -hmm. so, so where, where did that come from for, for Brand New Name? Why, what's the driver? Well, the origin of this actually came out of frustration. If you think of everyone on the call right now, we we all come from a brand strategy uh, world. We work with clients and advise them on how to to do uh, to do naming, to do strategy, to do other elements, and and that's the kind of practice that I've been running for for many years. And after the launch of my first book, Sticky Branding, I did a series of articles that were just these ultra long articles. I wanted to see how they would perform online. And one of them was on brand naming. And the phone started ringing with all these naming inquiries. And I didn't, at first I just started turning them away. I'm like, I don't do this and, and just moved on. But after probably 10 or so, the sales guy in me starts kicking and going, what's going on here? And, and so I approached naming very much from the traditional perspective of take on a project, work the process, create names, help the client make a decision and, and get through it. The problem with that is that's really time consuming, especially from an agency perspective. And, uh, and so I hit a ceiling of complexity right away. And, and so at that point in time, uh, a, an investor approached me that uh, a family uh, foundation that invests in marketing agencies. And they said, we love what you're doing in naming. We see huge market potential. The name is the starting point for every brand. And if we can get in on the ground floor with a naming project, then we can sell them a whole boat ton of additional services. Cool. And uh, so we, we go through that. Long story short, we couldn't get the pricing or their costs down into a reasonable market rate. And so stuck with all this demand coming in, I started asking the question, how else can we go 
around solving this naming challenge. And in a whiteboarding session, I just wrote on the board, unlock the creative genius of employees. And that was a watershed moment, not only for the development of the brand new name methodology, but my entire work towards working with uh, clients and being a consultant. And that is what I have come to truly believe, and, and I can back it up by research and it's talked about in the book, is you are creative. Your team is a creative and inside every organization is immense creative potential. And if we can provide structure and process to employees, we can solve incredibly complex problems like naming. And we can actually get to better outcomes than we might uh, achieve through hiring external advisors. Because not only are your employees creative, they know the business, they're passionate about the business. And if we can harness that, then it really becomes an opportunity to do something exponential. And so that's been a big driver for me is how do we provide process around employee co-creation to solve some of the most complex branding problems that we face every day. That's nicely put. Now, if I was being cynical or questioning that, you could say, wait a minute, as a consultant, because I know that you're not just an author, you know, you've explained you've got a live consulting business. Um, are you, are you not going to put yourself out of business by, by this book because, you, you know, you, you've, you've done such a great job of packaging up that process and, and the systems? Well, I'll cover that question on two sides of things. So the first thing I said is that, that this process has been a watershed for, moment for me. So up until that moment, I had run a traditional consulting practice practice, which was largely prescriptive. As a consultant, we facilitate, or at least I did, we would facilitate strategy meetings, do analysis, and take the client through a positioning exercise or whatever the, the outcomes that we were driving for. And I'd always have that problem when you call up a client a year later and say, so how is it going? How are you going on the strategy? And nothing moves. And, and so what I discovered just doing the naming projects around using employee co-creation is if you take that to every, almost any aspect of your work, you can actually get to better outcomes because all of a sudden employees start to uh, own the process. So when Sticky Branding runs, say, a strategy program, part of what my methodology looks at is we create quests. So take a very simple example. Think of buyer personas. It's, a, it's like naming. It's a defined process. Well, if we can put the process together and assign it to internal people, now they start to master the skills and have better understanding of their business. And so I really don't think, I think we can get to better outcomes through this philosophy and we can empower uh, teams to actually implement and grow their brands from the inside out. And will that displace me from, as a service provider? Maybe, but I don't really think so. I think part of this gets unwieldy, that uh, you need process. You often need tools. So in order to help people do a job they've never done before, we have to change our mindset as consultants on how to do that. Yeah, no, that's, um, I, I am with you on that. And I like that, the inside out. Um, it makes me think of Denise, Denise Leon. I think you know, yep, um, Denise exactly. So, um, and she's really strong on on culture, isn't she? And, and talking about right. Well, let's not just make this an external brand, which looks lovely, but it's not actually what you guys are really living. Um, 
so so I guess what you're talking about is when you're trying to draw on the internal creativity, which I totally get with you. Um, I'm with you on on that. So you, you're you're trying to take the strength, but that culture's then got to be it's got to be creative as well, doesn't it, to to deliver this? Not necessarily. Uh, like if you think of it, most people are busy doing their jobs. Uh, I'll give you an example of, uh, from a naming project. It, so the way the brand new name works is it's a three-stage uh, process. Stage one, build your strategy. Stage two, a five-day naming sprint. Stage three, test and select. Now in the five-day naming sprint, what we do is we challenge the team to say, can you generate five good names per day per person? So uh, I did a project recently with a, uh, a, a software startup that had a, a trademark issue. They couldn't enter the United States market because the name they were operating under was already taken. Well, we took the 45 employees and over the course of five days, they generated 639 names. Out of that, 40 of them were viable candidates, 10 we tested, five we market tested, and they actually chose two of them. One was for the company name and one for a product name. And what I found interesting on this was uh, the names didn't come from marketing. They didn't even come from leadership. Uh, a software engineer who barely speaks English, he's a Chinese national uh, uh, came up with the product name, and it was incredible. Fortunately, I can't share the names with you right now because they're they're still going through the trademarking process. But what what I think the the mistake that we make is we assume because somebody's an accountant, because someone's a software developer, because someone's doing a traditionally non creative job, they're not creative. But most of us are working for something else. We go to work and we have a skill and expertise, but you could have someone who's uh, a Baptist singer, or a painter, or a poet, or something else that they just haven't been asked to participate in a project like this. And by simply giving the tools and process, you never know where great ideas are going to come from. No, that's, that, that's a great example of using the power, the power of the team to, to actually co-create this. And what I like as well is that this stretches, doesn't it, out of, of naming you know, into brand and into, you know, wider business strategy to, to say, well, you know, talk to your workforce and, and use the power of the, the workforce. And that, that, that starts to build off of Denise Leon and Fusion because uh, now, for the first time ever, you may be asking employees to participate in the development of brands. And so, or you might be asking people that are in the belly of the beast, working in customer service or shipping or logistics or, or whatever it is, like normal average employees are getting involved in strategic projects. And that creates ownership. And that also creates understanding. So people start to understand why is this business doing what this business does? And that's a powerful culture building tool, especially when you're dealing with a younger workforce. Uh, a millennial workforce absolutely wants to have a stake in the business. So give it to them. Yeah, no, I think there's there, there's a lot of that. Um, and I don't want to simplify by saying it's generational, but in terms of purpose, real, those those drivers, as you say, what, what gets people to, to work in the morning, um, you know, we're, we're having to understand that a little bit more aren't aren't we now 
sure. Um, you, you touched on things. You spoke about some of your live clients and, and what um, I loved about this is, you know, you, you set out the philosophy and the, the strategy and, and it's very practical. Um, as you say, you know, you, you lay out exactly what you have to do day by day but then you were able to show that you're a real practitioner and, and you brought some examples to the table. Um, one of them was your, your family business, original business. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit more about some of your experience there? Sure. Well, I don't have a traditional entry into the branding world. Uh, I didn't start in advertising. I, I was a sales guy. That was my career. I actually started in the CRM software industry uh, in the early 2000s. And, uh, and I joined my family business in 2004 as a director of sales and marketing. And largely, it was a director of sales. It was a, an IT staffing company. And I didn't know it at the time, but we were going through the early stage of a technological disruption. Uh, Google was five years old. Facebook was less than a year old. LinkedIn was three years old. And it was transforming how p job seekers were going to market, how clients were, were hiring agencies. And... But we felt it as a sales problem. It was getting harder and harder to generate business and grow the company. And after an incredibly painful first year, I remember sitting down with both my parents and, and saying, this is what it's like to be in a family business. I, I can't keep going. I, I might as well go back to the software industry. This, this is awful. And this is probably when I got the best advice of my career. And, and it's in the book and it, it probably flies under the radar, but it, it truly is something that means the world to me. It, and so my dad basically said to me, it's not about the business we've built. It's about the business we're building. What are we going to build next? And so that gave me permission to look differently at my work as, as a sales leader. And I took a step back and I started to study the business, study the market, study our customers. And what I noticed was because of that digital disruption, people were going online and evaluating us based on our website. We were actually breaking the relationship chain that we had established for 15 years. And what we saw was we looked no different than a law firm or an accounting firm and our customers couldn't distinguish us from anyone else. And that was the moment goes, oh crap, we have a branding problem, not a sales problem. But I'm a sales guy, I don't know anything about this. So the first thing I do is I just start reading everything I can get my hands on. Marty Neumeyer, David Ocker, uh, Al Reese, name the book, I've probably read it or probably did at that time. The problem was all of those guys talked about big companies. I was a small business. I had a marketing budget, but not a vast one. And I was dealing with digital disruption issues. And again, they weren't talking about that. And, and so we had to adapt and try and put all that process into place. Uh, we adopted um, digital marketing in terms of, it was before it was even called inbound marketing. We were looking at it through Seth Godin's lens of permission marketing. So using content, social media, and, and other pieces to, to feed us. And what happened was my clients took notice. So Yellow Pages and, and Granger and these large international organizations started saying, hey, what are you doing over there on digital? And, and, and we would explain, they said, can you help us? And so my first foray into branding was actually creating demand generation departments for large corporations. And as I kept working the sales problem, trying to solve the problem of how do you feel the sales force, I had progressed into brand. And uh, 
So when I sold my family's business in 2013, where sticky branding came from was, what's the book I wish I had when I went through that transition? And I took my experience and then I profiled and I, I analyzed over 150 mid-market companies from New Zealand to the United States to understand essentially challenger brands, what uh, Adam Morgan talks about, uh, but understand it from my lens of how does a privately held mid-market company challenge the giants of their industry and grow their business and brand. And that's been that continual lens and evolution. And so my work hasn't come from an academic or a corporate perspective. It's barely come from an entrepreneurial perspective of how do I create a sustainable competitive advantage using marketing? And that's been the core ethos of sticky branding. That's, that's great. And that's a challenge. It's something that I'm really strong about. And what we try and do at Fresh is, um, explain that these techniques um, that big businesses use, it's not just the domain of big business. Um, often you're talking to smaller businesses who exactly as you put it, have a branding challenge, but they don't realize it. Yeah. And when you start to explain that that's actually what they need to get out of the situation they're in, they think, oh no, that's for um, Starbucks or Amazon or, or whoever it is. So um, that's really nicely put and, really interesting story just to, to, to find out how you how you got there um, and, I, and I liked how you um, show that you've actually taken your own medicine not only in, in the family business but actually then naming the book um, so not too many spoiler alerts for those that haven't actually read the book and um, that, that was really neat um, and, I, and I also really liked the Hagen das story uh, you know, it's, it's got to sound foreign. Um, it's what, gibberish. Yeah. What's, what's your favourite in those, like, um, in terms of origin story, uh, Jeremy? Mm. I think uh, I, I have several favourites, but I think Bluetooth is the one uh, that really stands out for me as a cool origin story. Uh, I'll rehash it quickly, but Bluetooth is named after a medieval Norwegian king, Harold Blatten. And in, in ancient Norwegian, Blatten meant blue tooth. He was, legend has it, he had a dead tooth that had turned blue black. And he was famous for conquering uh, basically Scandinavia without violence. And so when uh, the, the giants of the tech industry, Intel, IBM, Nokia, Ericsson, were coming together to create a standard protocol for our devices to talk to each other, they use that as a metaphor. Now, the part, the reason I find the story fascinating is it's a cool origin story, but it's also, it plays to the, 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 some of the funny elements of marketing. The assumption was this was a code name and the marketing team would come up with a better name, except for the marketing team came up with PAN for personal area network. And it, it, we're all of the generation where we probably know the techie stuff. You had LANs for local area networks and WANs for wide area networks. So PAN probably made logical sense at that moment in time. But fortunately, the, the lawyers went, no, that's not going to work. And running out of time, they chose that whimsical code name. And I always find that interesting that uh, sometimes the, the most interesting names aren't the ones that are the functional names that you would expect. Uh, like another story, uh, just another brand that I think I love or that I love is Big Ass Fans. Uh, they started as HVLS 
fan company for high volume, low speed fan company. And these big nine foot diameter fans put up in industrial parks. And the, uh, but the customers kept calling up and say, hey, you those guys that sell those big ass fans? And after a few times, the, the management team leaned into it. And so it's those moments where people step out of the logical, practical, what's the descriptive, proper way to describe this brand and they actually go with their gut or their heart that we start to create those really memorable interesting moments yeah i like those i like those too and um it's quite it's quite funny at times the book you know i'm sure you you'll take that as as positive feedback and there's some great stories and just in those stories themselves there's a bit of emotion isn't there and humor and stuff rather than you're you're right. The marketing team that was a pretty clinical name that they were gonna gonna use rather than Bluetooth. Yeah. Um, so I'll get I'll get technical with you for for a, a minute if I, I could. So you've um, kind of developed a blueprint and a, and a process, and you've got like three categories of names: mm-hmm. uh, descriptive, suggestive, um, and abstract. If I got that. Yep. Um, and I, I guess there's not a best, is there, or or is it case by case? Well, I think there's. This goes back to that uh, marketing thinks we should have one type of name. We should have a descriptive name. We should tell people what we do, or it should be an abstract name. It should not mean anything, and we'll breathe life into it. And. Where one of the greatest mistakes I see in naming projects are is lack of strategy. That's that thought of, I'll know it when I see it. So the reason why that chapter, The Anatomy of the Name, exists is to hopefully spark a different lens for a team that's naming something. Usually we we all suffer from a halo effect. So if everyone in your industry uses acronyms, we're probably gonna have a propensity to look at acronyms. And if everyone is using evocative phrases like Apple or Caterpillar, then we're gonna set that up as our standard. And the interesting thing is, you can have fascinating names in any space. I actually love acronyms. I think they're some of the more intriguing names. They, they get a bad rap because someone's like, well, how is IBM a great name? But most of the time when we use an acronym, we turn it into a, uh, uh, in, we, we say it phonetically, like Aflac or SCUBA. Uh, I work with an NGO that is the Canadian Organizational Development um, or economic development, something like that. Uh, but C-O-D-E is the, the acronym. But everyone calls it CODE. It's known internationally as CODE. Now, the name, that the acronym CODE is problematic because it becomes associated with technology and, and, and software coding. But it's just a simple thing that, that people took the acronym and then just started saying it. So I think that the, the, to answer your question, Finley, it's, I think the key is, when creating a name, try to explore all three categories and all the ways to construct names and generate as many ideas under each because it's going to be the, the thing that we have. The reason that it's a five-day naming sprint is the first round of ideas that we do. So if you were to do a, a half-a-day workshop to generate a name, all you're essentially doing is saying the names and ideas you already know. It's not until you've exhausted your your creativity and then actually have to start creating is that's the moment that we have to get through. So part of what we're doing, the strategy is burning through people so that they can generate net new ideas. 
Okay, no, that's um, that's cool. Thanks. And come, coming back to the the humans um, a, a little bit, because I've experienced this problem working in smallish teams when the founders are still really close to the to the action. Mm. Um, and we do a, a workshop around essence, and I'll, I'll maybe have a, an initial meeting with with founders and directors and then say, right, okay, we're going to go and talk to the team now. Um, and there's sometimes a bit of a, a clash there. Um, have you experienced or are you hearing feedback on on any issues like that around using the whole team? When you're, you know, Because what you're talking about is you're trying to get as many ideas on the table as possible. Yeah, I... We- Attitudinally, that can come out of the gate. And I think it's a leadership challenge that someone has to believe that their organization has creative talent. And if they don't, I don't think they should do this process at all. If you don't have faith in your employees, A, probably should question yourself as a leader. But but if that's really the case, you're not going to trust them enough to participate in it. So there's that desire that I believe my team is really great. They have potential. Let's give them a chance. Why the process works, though, is it also has a degree of structure to it. Because if you were to bring your, that team into, the, say, the boardroom and say, all right, guys, time to be creative, chances are you're going to pull up no ideas. That's why I, I'm not a big fan of using naming workshops. They tend to put people on the spot and, and not generate the results you want. So my approach to this is on the idea of working alone together. Give somebody a creative challenge, give them some guidance, give them a quota, and then let them do it on their own time using their own process. And if you can do that, especially from a leadership perspective, maybe somebody's creative in the morning, maybe it's in the evening, maybe it's over lunchtime, maybe it's chatting with someone, I'm not sure, but give them the opportunity to do it on their own under their own terms. And because that's the moment I think they'll surprise you is um, if you ask them to do it on, on demand, probably not gonna work great. But what I have seen every single time I've run a naming sprint is the team generates more ideas and better ideas than anything they would have got externally. Yeah, no, that's nice. And, and I also liked that as part of that, you advise the decider is, is bought in and engaged right up front as well. Yeah, I learned that from Jake Knapp and and the sprint methodology, and and Jake was so kind to to blurb the book as well because uh, a lot of this is inspired by him. Um, but he he basically says if you're going to be uh, running a project of this scale and importance, the boss got to be there, and the boss has to be involved. He can't delegate it, and so uh, I am very adamant if I'm running the sprint that uh, if the if the CEO is doesn't have to be fully contributing ideas every day, but if they're not involved start to finish, it's not going to work. So, um, like uh, the the boss has to be there. Yeah, and we, we've all seen that in different ways. If uh, we're maybe not talking to the decision maker right up front, in maybe in the sales environment or or whatever it is. So that's that's good advice. So. Well, let's jump forward a little bit now. And, and so the the project, the business, they've, they've got their name. And you know, I've mentioned how this can be used in other areas of, of strategy. Where where do they go from, from that point? Isn't this the coolest part of what we get to do, though? 
the name is the starting point of every brand. It's uh, it's the very first moment. Uh, I'll, I'll give you. I'm gonna. I, I'm regretting this before I say it out loud. But the investors that were interested in working with me called naming the ovulation cycle of branding. It's like, oh, that's so gross. Uh, but it's but it's true. It's that starting point of where things happen. So the moment you have a name, it feels awkward. It it it. There's there's something there. You feel it. Your team feels it. You get it. But nobody else gets it yet. It's just a set of characters. And now is the moment you get to breathe life into it. And it's the starting point of your brand, or it could be the restart if you're renaming something. And so the, the, the thing that I think is so key after you have a name is you start to look at the brand strategy, the communication strategy, the positioning strategy. It's how are you going to deliberately breathe life into this thing and Give you've just spent all this time and effort creating it. How are you going to make it into the most valuable brand asset in your organization? Because I fundamentally believe that names are the most valuable assets in any organization. They, uh, David Ocker said it names are more valuable than trademarks and patents that we know Kodak or Velcro or Kleenex, uh, and they are category defining names. And even if it, they were to lose the trademark, they, they still the brand is still trapped in our head so that's really the the core work of branding and that comes back to all the the work that every one of us do which is how do we create sustainable competitive advantage that delights our customers so that each of those experiences are inserted into this vessel that we call a name and that becomes the reference by which we know like and trust the brand that we want to build Cool, brilliant. Um, yeah, I like it. It's um, yeah, the birth of, um, of of the brand and so on. We could um, play about with that analogy if we really wanted to. Um, for for you, how how about you? Before we maybe open it up to see if anyone else has got any questions or or points. Um, what what's next for you then? I got to sell a lot of books to pay for this thing. So <laughs> uh, this is in a cheap world. Uh, I re my, my big driver right now is two things. One is to really get brand new name into the world. My hope for it is it, to grow it into that category defining book that it's not going to displace uh, agencies, but at least it's that starting point that really elevates the topic of naming. It drives me nuts that there's only two books on naming on Amazon and, and, this is such a cornerstone topic. So really raising the category and, and the topic is my number one priority. The other is just the continued evolution of, um, of our industry and practice. It, part of what drives me at Brand New Name, or sorry, Sticky Branding, and with the work with Brand New Name and other work I do is, how do we take these strategic important topics that we wrestle with every single day and make it accessible to all businesses and all business owners that it's not some academic or some agency type of thought. It's something that uh, we all believe that our brand is the ultimate sales machine and to create a strong brand and to do that and showing people how to do that is, um, is, is really what drives my mission. Uh, I'll give you a quick analogy. There's a, a there's an old meme that went around the internet a few years ago called "How to Draw an Owl," and it's a, it's a fine and simple guide to draw an owl in two steps. Step one: draw two circles, one for the head and one for the body. Step two: draw the rest of the damn owl. And 
it just like, this is the challenge I see with so much of the work in branding. We, we tell people these big ideas of what great brands should be. We show up Starbucks, we show up Nike and these, these organizations. But I think the ultimate work right now for all of us is showing people the how. How do we actually get from A to B? Everyone forgets Starbucks was a startup. And if you look at their brand back in the 80s, it was all over the place. The logos were changing. The store designs were changing. It wasn't this polished, perfect thing. And that's the world that most of us live in is we're not McDonald's or Starbucks. We are companies that are fighting and challenging conventions to find our own way. And that's the work of branding. I think a brand is based on what you've done. Branding is what you're going to do next. And so if you're strategic and deliberate on that, then you're going to create those positive experiences that create a brand. That's great. Thanks. Um, you, you've got a purpose and, and a mission as well, and that, that's coming across in the work that you do, but also in this conversation. So I really appreciate that. We're with you. Um, we'll evangelize about your work, about Thank brand you. new name. Um, and you know, we're going to uh, support you in that going forward. Um, we'd love, love to have you across in Scotland sometime. We, Name we'll the day. Have you in in Glasgow, and we'll we'll work on that. We'll we'll connect and and try and and see uh, find a way to do that somehow. That would be really exciting. Um, I wonder if if anyone else has got um, a question or a point they want to put to Jeremy just now. What we will do is um, we're going to post this video, put it up into the Fresh Books uh, group on LinkedIn and engage with people um, that way. Um, Jeremy, you know, I hope you can, you can share that with us um, as, as well to pull in some of your wider um, community. Um, I'm part of uh, uh, the Sticky Branding group on LinkedIn. That is, that's um, a great community. And if, if anyone else isn't a member of that, I'd advise you go over and, and join that as well, like-minded people sharing some, some great ideas. Um, and just a little reminder that we're we're back in uh, just over three weeks' time with Maria Ross. Um, so we're going to have to get um, our skates on, get a copy of the Empathy Edge. Oh, hey, you're ahead of the game. I already got my advanced copy. It's uh, and it's, it's great. It's an interesting book. And um, so so that that's what we're we're going to uh, be reading, discussing that with uh, with Maria Ross in three weeks' time. So if, if no one wants to put a question to Jeremy just now, um, we'll maybe pick it up. And Jeremy, if you can maybe just come into that conversation, um, that would be really appreciated. And so it's just for me to say thank you very much. Thanks for coming on to Fresh Books. I, 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 John's got a question. I, 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 John's got an idea. Sorry, just before we go. Yeah, fire on the floor. <laughs> I have also, this is a really tactical one. Sure. Um, and I enjoyed your book very much. So, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. and I'm a firm believer that you do want employee engagement in the naming process. A lot of times for um, me, times that companies I've been on that we've been pulled in as an outside consultant, they didn't have problems generating names. They had problems making a decision which name was going to be best and why it was going to be best and not having group think around it. So I liked the process that you put towards that. The yeah. tactical question was, in your naming sprint, or at least the way that I read it, everyone has a quota. It's a definite sales process, which is great. And it's like, have a number of names that you're going towards. And then you're picking 
from that quota down to five names that you're generating in. Um, mm -hmm. Does somebody, like if I generated 50 names, I would only, you'd only be asking me to submit what I considered to be five good names, because it seems like you might be waiting out, filtering out. I might say, that's not a great name. And you might look at that and say, that's it. That's, the, yeah. that's something that should be elevated. So to answer your question, no, uh, if you've got, if you generated 50 good names in a day, submit the 50 good names. Um, okay. And, and so oftentimes uh, when I facilitate these sprints, the client will start with a pre-batch list of names. They have, uh, they've generated a hundred yeah. or something odd names. So we throw that in the mix. And so the quota really is to force people to try and get beyond just putting in a random word because most of the time getting to five is going to take them an hour or so. Uh, but if you got a, an uber creative person, they got 50, then then by all means do that. The chances are by the time they hit 30, they're going to be struggling to get to their five. So uh, okay. we, we, we see that both dynamics, but absolutely empower them to do that. Create a tool. Um, we've had to build software to from the facilitation perspective. The book itself, everything you need to do is great. On your own, one, two, three, four, five people, it's perfectly fine. It gets unwieldy if you've got 50 people submitting names and then you've got yeah. Excel spreadsheets and everything. So we've built, um, we run uh, a, a, an automated email distribution for the, the naming exercises and a database for the submissions. But the key to the whole thing is whether you do it manually or, or, or through with the tools, it's uh, when those names come in that, that first day or the second day is to reshare them with the group because we are building on everybody else's ideas. And I think that's really where serendipity starts to kick in, where if someone generated 50 names and everyone else did their quota, well, now we've got, let's say, 100 names off of day one and people scan that and go, oh, that's where I'm going to go on day two. And they actually start to build on it. So the more people contribute, the more volume you get down. Then when you go to testing, that's really what's going to be key. Because if you're only testing four names and they're all kind of crappy, that's really demoralizing. Right. And then I, I had a, that was great. Thank you. Uh, I had a second question, which was, mm -hmm. I love the Bluetooth example. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes that name is sitting within um, and it's already been there. Um, yep. But how do you overcome internal name bias? So seen a lot of times where a group already had, they had a code name, the project's been in development for a certain amount of time, and they have fallen in love with the code name. Um, and the code name may or may not be available. It may or may not be right it, for the actual target audience that the product or the company is being named for. Yeah. But how do you overcome that bias if it's being generated internally, if people are so um, either latched on or they think of the code name as the name of the product? Now, how do you overcome that bias? Great question, John. Uh, the I, I come across this frequently. It's usually why the trigger event to someone say, okay, this is why we need to run an outside naming sprint. So the the thing that happens is exposure bias, that the more you work with a name, the more you like it. Right. And that's positive. That's why we look at names like Nike or Uber and go, wow, they're such great names. And really, are they? No, but you heard them a billion times. So now you think they're awesome. Uh, and the companies are awesome. So that supports that. The, uh, so the exposure bias issue. First things first, if they love it, then why are they 
not able to choose it. Most likely they can't get the domain, they can't get the trademark, or they can't get, uh, there's a competitive issue. If that's the case, then the way I handle that is let's have a ceremony, let's have a funeral for this name. Like we need to put this thing to bed. Let's put a nice gravestone to it and get rid of it because you can't have it. And, and I did a project with a, uh, a blockchain identity. They love that name. They still love that name. They're still talking about the name they created, but they can't use it anywhere. So get over it. Um, <laughs> the other issue, though, is the harder one is they love the name, but it's not great for the market. And in that case, that's really where you have to get analytical. You have to say, okay, this is, so we, I have the name score in the book and the market testing, but it's really to facilitate common conversation, to have a discussion to say, we love this name, but it has these functional flaws. What will this mean for the brand five years from now? And that's tying you back to strategy. If you can say to yourself, this name is going to be a problem. We love it, but it's going to be a problem. Then you have to ask the question, is this the thing we need to breathe life into? And that really has got to go back to the decider to say, look, Bob, look, Jim, look, whatever your name is. Um, are you sure? If you are sure, then, then we'll back you on this. But uh, if it's a mistake, better to get it right now. Ultimately, Thanks, people are going to do, do with their business. Well, that, that, that's interesting because actually that comes back to your WD-40 example from Memex. I only finished your book called Mindy. But there's, yeah. there's so much good content in here. It's hard to pick out specific pieces because obviously you mentioned the name score. And that's kind of something yeah. I want to flag about how successful I can see that working with a lot of the stuff I work on because that again brings you back to that kind of, is it personable? Is it relatable? Is it identifiable? Is it different enough? And I think just there's so much good content in here and I've actually ordered your book Sticky Branding because I like the way you write as well I think it's quite easy to follow it's got good guides in there as well I'm, I'm excited thank you. for the next book thank you uh, well, I, I'm, I'm scared of writing my next book but uh, it's not, but I'm happy for you to, to read the previous stuff uh, but thank you it's uh, um, I think that it gets back to that how to draw a damn owl thing it's uh, the uh, we it processes everything in, in branding and marketing in that it's, I think we get caught up on these big idea concepts and these aspirational elements, but I think, I think a brand is very much a strategy and, and strategy is process. It's uh, in order to be creative, in order to get to compelling outcomes, uh, we've got to have better ideas. I met, uh, I spoke at an event a few weeks ago and I met this very rich uh, investor who's like meeting uh, the Warren Buffett kind of profile. And he shared with me his three criteria for success. He said, in order for someone to be successful, they have to be purpose-driven, they have to have creative solutions, and they have to have resilience. And he said, the key, the key though, was creative solutions. Lots, lots of people that work really hard and get to know great outcomes. Uh, so how do we go around, around that process to get there? And, and so if, if uh, we're, able we're able to take our clients, our clients and give them that process and create creative solutions that, that support, support their goals and really help. 
Thanks. I'm, I'm not sure if it was just in my end there, but the my audio was uh, playing up a little bit there. So apologies if that's um, some technical issue on the call. Okay. Um, just just to come back to what um, Chris made the point there, isn't that beautiful, Jeremy? If if people um, the the first point contact is brand new name, and then they go into your back catalogue and uh, go and yeah. pick up sticky branding as well. Um, and I think that'll happen. Um, I definitely do. Um, and so you know, putting that on people's reading list. So there's an idea. Maybe sometime next year, maybe we could run another call and you can come back and uh, we can we can read uh, Sticky Branding. I'd love it. I'd love it. Okay, listen, um, we've spoken for quite a while now. Thanks for thanks for coming on the call, and uh, we'll pick up those those other actions uh, going forward, guys. I really appreciate your your time, and um, we'll see you all soon. Thanks, thanks, thanks. thanks.